0: Hi everyone, welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about uh, media and and uh, production, and our second hour is the same. Today, Saturdays, uh, we're back to our kind of our, our old Saturdays, which is quite nice. Um, it's just uh, we're just uh, doing Q and A for two hours, uh, or as long as you ask questions. So uh, so Saturday's pretty casual. Uh, if, uh, if so, your how long the show uh, begins and ends is all up to you. Same with Sunday. So um so anyway so throw those questions into McCona right now. And let's go ahead and jump into the questions that we have. Uh, Mitch, what do we have?
1: Thanks, Alex. I'm wearing my casual reader shirt here. There and Our go. first question comes from Eric hers in Hartford, Connecticut. Based upon your great insights during office hours, we've created the Vivo NDI broadcast app. And there's a link to it. Should we open source it? Go ahead, John.
2: I think this guy should do a second hour on this app. Did you look at
0: it, Alex? It's pretty thorough. It's pretty sophisticated. It looks good. I think we should, um, I think we should definitely, um, uh, so yeah, reach out to me, Eric, um, um, and we'll see if we can find it. I'd love to have you come on, to show, show the app. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, open source it. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I think that it's hard to manage. I think it's hard to maintain. As soon as you do that, there's not a lot of financial, you, know, so you really have to decide you have an industry that wants to commoditize it and, and use it all the time. And if you don't have that, you know, you won't have any way to make money with it, which means you won't be able to maintain it, which means eventually it'll die. So um, so I think that I would uh, not make it open source uh, right now, at least, until you know that there's a lot of people that would pick it up and run with it. Like OBS does really well as, at this because they um, they have a lot of people using it, um, but you need to get to that point. And I I, I know that there's a, that's a chicken or egg thing, but I wouldn't start that way. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, I think there's some misconceptions, too, about open sourcing, whether or not it's secure... Um, whether somebody ultimately is responsible for it, um, there are some good examples of of open source programs out there, and probably some bad examples too. But um, I agree with you. I think it makes sense to uh, to go about it that way. Next question. Next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Zoom live streaming app released in beta. It allows streaming to multiple platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch simultaneously. Has anyone tried this yet, and how does it differ from Restream.io and the way Office Hour streams to YouTube now?
0: Yeah, so um so yeah, so YouTube I and mean, or now uh
1: Zoom can send out to multiple
0: platforms uh and uh, this is this is very similar to what Restream does. Of course, one of the big differences between Restream and and uh Zoom is that Restream of course you can do an RTMP from anywhere and Zoom you're doing it you're originating from uh Zoom, which is very easy for a lot of folks. So for some people this is going to be a lot easier. It means that I want to do my meeting i want to do it inside of zoom and i can now just say i'm going to send it out to all these different platforms um and so that is a that that's an advantage for people as far as an easy way to turn this on and get some of the features or many of the features that restream provides i will admit i'm not a big fan of of multicasting <laughs> So so now i will say that we we are going to multicast Uh, office hours starting in September. I'm I'm just getting ready to turn it on. Um, So I've been doing all the little bits and pieces on the back end to make that work. Um, We're doing it mostly to see, make sure that we understand how the best way to stream to each one of these platforms from a technological perspective so we're going to send it out to a bunch of different platforms just to do it as an experiment Um, so that one of the big advantages of streaming to a platform over and over and over again is that you start to learn what its peculiarities are and so if we stream office hours to all the platforms every day we're just going to see what it's good at what they're good at what they're not when they break how they break and so I think from a research perspective it makes sense we push almost all clients to not do this. Um, you know, and the reason we, we don't do this is because it fragments their market. So what you want to do is, in my opinion, is you use all the different platforms to feed back into one. So in our case, what we're doing is when we stream out, we're actually forcing—not forcing, but we're encouraging uh, viewers to use Makana. <laughs> so we're basically pulling that we're using. We're going reaching out into all those platforms and then pulling them back into one place to converse. Um, that way, we don't have multiple, you know, Q and A feeds and multiple um, uh, chat feeds and so on and so forth. So while while we'll be on those platforms we're not going to pay attention to in the same way that we turn off chat on YouTube. We're not going to pay attention to any of the local comments. Um, you know, we're going to tell people if they want to be heard and they want to be seen, then they go to, they go back to a unified platform. And so, and that's part of why McConnell was created was to create a unified platform across multiple uh, streaming uh, ends. And so, so anyway, so the, um, so I think that that's the issue. We, the way we stream is stream to, we stream to YouTube, of course, um, and YouTube is just the easiest one and the most stable to send to every day, and has the highest quality. Allows us to, you know, we we're going to be moving to uh, five dot one HDR four K over the fall um, permanently uh, for for you know the mainstream, and uh, we couldn't do that on any other platform. So so I think that that's you know that's what we're kind of looking at there. So I you know we do it that way, and then we embed it into Makana um, to to have it. Uh, so that we can interact with it, and I think that that's a that's a pretty useful um, way to manage that. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, I know I'm veering off subject here a little bit, but uh, it's funny the uh, the ATEM uh, Minis have Restream built into them, but I see very very few people use them. I mean, they, they, of-
0: well, they have streaming. It's not Restream. Restream is the service, the clouds, right? The cloud service. So I don't think that Restream is built into the ATEM. It's just it just streams. You can stream, stream to, to restream. restream and Restream, Restream. And then Got from it. Restream, you can Restream to as many different platforms. And I, I get, I I have used Restream a fair bit. There was a, um, there was a, I had to do, a, I had to do an event where they wanted to stream to Russia. This is many years ago before the current issues that happened. Um, and the only way to get to the Russian version of Facebook was, which is like VS or something like that, or SV or, it's like, it is, it's really funny. It's so, it's the most Russian thing I've ever seen, which is that it's Facebook, but, but super low, like almost nothing there. Like just, just this kind of flat is like, you know, it was just, it was very, it was very Russian. Um, anyway, uh, uh, it was just, just the things you need. Like it was just very utilitarian. That's, you know, it was, it was pretty, actually I liked it. I will admit I liked it better than the, the Facebook here. Um, but, uh, 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 but Restream goes to many, many, many different platforms. So if you don't want to figure out how to get to those platforms, being able to use Restream and um, uh, point it at those platforms, one or many, is is fine. And then people also use Restream because there's you know some extra tools in there to turn things on and off and so on and so forth. There's a small studio, so so there's a couple of different advantages there. But again, I would take on the multi streaming very carefully. We're doing it from a pure R and D perspective. Um, and I, I, I've hesitated to do it because I don't want to be a bad example because I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> but, but I, but I feel like I need the data, so, um, so we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. But I, I would highly recommend whatever if you're going to do multi-streaming, you could do it with a goal to pull everyone back into one unified community. Um, do not continue to. Support many, many communities at one time with your live streaming, you know, or you just keep on building up a fragmented uh, community, and it just becomes hard to get them to. You know, you, people all say, "Well, take it to where the where the audience is." Yes, take it to where the audience is, and then pull them out of there and get them out of you know get them together, um, and not not let them not let it fester because it just becomes harder and harder to support. And this is over many years of multi streaming. That
1: we've how do you rank the uh, the
0: different uh, streams out there as far as importance? It, uh, it depends on the. It depends on what you're trying to do. So, uh, you, you know, your reach is going to be very high in uh, Facebook. Um, so that there's a lot of reach. You'll get up to a lot of people. They just won't watch very long. So average view time on you on Facebook is like 28 seconds. You know, so they go in the feed that brings them in is the same feed that takes them out again. Um, you know, the Twitter used to have something that would get really, really, if you had a lot of followers, it would get r- a lot of coverage really fast. Uh, but again, same problem that Facebook has. that People come in, they go out immediately. So you have to, if you do a stream to Facebook or Twitter, you have to be really interesting all the time. Like super interesting. You have no dead time, no slow time, no, and we'll be publishing what we internally, I mean, we'll publish it to this group. The kind of view times that we're getting on different platforms—that's one of the reasons I want to stream the same show to many platforms—is to build up that data. Um, you know, LinkedIn is—is is, uh, it's good inside of that vertical of your business. You know, if you're doing business-related things, I think pe- there's a lot of community that um, that will like what we're doing here as I start as we start to stream to to uh, LinkedIn. I feel like they just, they turned it on and they never really developed it. Like LinkedIn just doesn't feel like it's complete, you know, like when I look at it. Um, And usually the viewership is not very high. Um, So, so it's going to be interesting to see how that, how ours goes. And again, we're going to be showing data of what, what works and doesn't work there. Twitch, if you're not a gamer, I know that Twitch is trying to do things other than gaming, but I have not seen anything succeed in twitch other than gaming <laughs> you know and so uh and and they have really long view times but it's like a whole different culture and a whole different world in there so um and then you know of course you can do things like we we've streamed this show to clubhouse as an experiment which has been interesting you know it's just, just the audio portion we'll probably do that again um and so the idea is to just kind of go out and like look at how do, how many people are watching and how do they watch and what's their behavior and how long do they you know and and so of all of these the ones that I, the one that I, I find to be the most stable with the the best mix of average view time quality etc is youtube so youtube 's uh, it 's the most mature like they really i mean other twitch arguably came out earlier, but other than that, YouTube is the most mature they 're not trying to do everything for everyone they tend to be it tends to be just kind of a yeah, a, a better built, you know, the infrastructure behind it tends to feel more stable. Uh, Facebook just feels like they threw the kitchen sink in, and they just keep on throwing more kitchen sinks into the into the into the product. So every time you open it up, you can't figure out which way is up. So, so I think that um, YouTube has resisted that urge um, and uh, has added things very slowly. And I think that that's a huge advantage to the to the platform. So anyway, that's my opinion of. Many, the many, and then of course the one that's really fun to do but much harder is just doing your own HLS stream, which you'll see us experiment with as well. Um, So you can build your own HLS stream, but that means you have to now start, you know, figuring out how you're going to do a CDN. Like we were talking to somebody the other day, and. And, uh, you know, if you're doing 200 or 300 people, you can build a very, very simple HLS, you know, server or set of servers on your own. And, uh, you know, anything under 2,000 is really easy to support in HLS. Um, anything more than that, you start have to really talk, talk to real CDNs.
1: Is that, that like HTML5?
0: Happen? No, HLS, HLS has been around. HLS is not really, I mean, it's not really connected to HTML5. HLS is, um, is basically Apple Apple created it. Um, and, uh, um, uh, the, and what it does is, um, it's, you know, it's HTTP live streaming. And so basically what it does is, and we, I did an hour on this, so I won't, I won't, I won't belabor it too long, but, um, there's a second hour somewhere where I talk about HLS, but basically HLS is a process and it's almost everything you receive on a stream is HLS. So when you watch a YouTube stream, you're getting HLS. You know, it's just that we can package that ourselves as well. So what HLS does, it's what what we call adaptive streaming, you know. Um, And so what it does is it sends out, it's got a whole bunch available. So it's got, we might do nine steps on a ladder. So you have a 4K and 1080p and 720, 540, 480, 240, et cetera. And you have all these available, and they're all streaming and made available to the server. And what they are is they're copied to the server. So you basically copy little two-second to eight-second chunks. Um, so that we call those segments, and those are, you know, those are basically, and they're evenly divided by GOPS, which are groups of frames. And so, so, the, um, uh, so anyway, so you have these two-second or, or six-second GOPS. With those uh, comes a manifest. A manifest is a text file that just says, this is what you got. <laughs> like, you know these are all the these are all the things that are available to you the player pulls the pulls usually a lower resolution if you ever wonder why netflix or something else starts really low res and then pops you know suddenly pops to a sharper image it's because it's sending you the one that it, they want to sh- get you something really quickly that's easy for you to download as a segment and then they measure your bandwidth, and so when the the player measures how much bandwidth am I actually getting, and then it goes back to the play li- goes back to that list and goes, oh, I can I can actually go up to 1080p because I've got enough bandwidth, and so then it grabs onto the next the next segment. Oftentimes, within two to six seconds, you'll see that pop happen because that it's going to go up and grab that, a bigger segment and pull it down because it's figured out that it has enough bandwidth. So so that's how HLS works, and that's how you get all of those things. And the reality is is that uh you can build that yourself you know you can build an hls you know uh you know using a- aws or akamai we use akamai a lot for that um and um and so you you build that on your own and then you have then you have but then you have to use something like the js player or other things to to put all that to get together so, anyway, so that's the mini first hour uh or second hour All right, next question
1: Next one in from Eric Herz again in Hartford, Connecticut. During the Zoom update yesterday, I asked about getting access to the Zoom webinar question and answer data during the event. And Jonathan cocatello uh, responded that this is possible. Only access to past meeting Q&A data is available via the SDK. Thoughts? Go ahead, Laura. I uh, can't hear you.
3: Oops, double mute. Um, My thought is, is I have not been satisfied with anything since I've seen the system that we use here. Um, I know it's not commercially available yet, but it's, uh, it's changed my entire experience.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, and it is commercially available. We just ma- it just it's just you have to contact me to ask 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 for it. But we're gonna make that more widely available. Uh, if you're if people are interested in beta, you should you should let us know because we're starting to ramp that up a little bit. Um, but the uh, um, it's just not widely available. You can't go and sign up for it. Um, anyway, the. Uh, as far as the thing, I believe that you can access those questions via Zoom OSC. So if you have an o- OSC, you should be able to grab all, of those, all the Q&A data and deliver it um, now. You don't need the SDK for that. So you need, you, you need, in fact, I don't think you'd want to use the SDK, but you do want to use Zoom OSC. So Zoom OSC should be able to grab that data and, uh, and then pull it out and deliver it to whatever you need. So look, do, I would do some research there. Uh, next
1: question. From Clive Kitchener in Sook, British Columbia, Canada, recommendations for a wireless headset mic to pair with the M2 iPad Pro, and he's willing to whimper but not cry once. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead, John.
2: I guess it depends on what you're doing, what application you're using for this. I have the Blue Parrot 450, and I use it for cons. It works great, but I wouldn't use it for, like, a Zoom meeting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it depends on what you're trying. Again, what John said, you're, what you're trying to do is, as far as are you getting the full quality? I still find that this is this little headset here. I don't know if I can block my hand and get this thing here. But this is the open comms um, and this is bone conduction. So it's not really in your ears and it's a, it's got a boom mic on it. I find that the... Uh, I have Parrot as well. I find that the... the uh, um. The spectrum that this supports is wider than the Parrot. The Parrot to do noise cancellation is a very, very thin spectrum. And I find that to be a little uh, over time, it's fine for comms. I wouldn't want to use it on a long call, um, you know, so, so I think that, but this, this headset I've been super happy with as far as uh, I haven't found a better one. It's only 180 bucks or something like that, but I haven't found a better one that does this. Now I got this also for comms and, but I use it for all my phone calls. So if I'm driving to anything else, and the big thing is, is that it has a fair bit of uh, um, noise cancellation. So it has a mic on the outside and on the inside, so it's using the outside information to gra- you know, to um, figure out what it should cancel. Um, it is uh, it. A lot of people f- have. Com- have thought that this is pretty clear even when i'm doing things around the house or doing things outside (laughs) so uh so so i think that this is a this is a pretty good one and because it's bone conduction i can have the program of a show in my ears with headsets and then have this sitting next to me so i can have two sets of audio It's a little disorienting when you first do it because you're listening to program and then hearing people talk in comms super useful though you know instead of having to figure out how to mix those two into
1: one headset i found that the bone conduction replaced that need next question Next one in from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. How are the office hours, after hours, panelists and community in Southern California, USA, preparing for the pending deluge of rain that is coming in the next couple of days? I go ahead, John. This is a great
2: question, Peter. I have my family lives in San Diego. Bill Bill Davis lives in San Diego. I just checked the database. We have a couple dozen easy people living in Southern California. Um, and so uh, I haven't heard of any plans of anybody doing anything. But tomorrow it hits, so
0: tomorrow it'd to be an interesting day. Yeah. So hopefully everything goes well there. It's going to be a little bit. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell whether you know how much. It sounds like at least it's going to be an enormous amount of rain. Um, it, but it doesn't. We're not sure if it's going to be worse than that. I, I think a lot of people think it's going to hit cooler water, and slow down a little bit on the way in. So it so it shouldn't shouldn't be a tropical storm or a hurricane. Um, but it's a fascinating. Fascinating thing. I was just reading about. Uh, I guess they said that unrelated to all the other global warming stuff. There's a there's a pattern in the in the Earth. that's like a, a, every thousand, a couple thousand years that where methane suddenly starts being emitted from the tropical areas. And this isn't something that's completely unconnected to human beings. It's just a lot of... And they said in 2006, a lot of methane started coming out of the... And and they said everything else happens over thousands of years, but this happens over decades. And and so there's this huge... amount of methane coming out that's not connected to anything else um, that seems to be related to uh, global patterns. And so uh, so. So I think we may see, uh, in addition to all the other stuff that's going on, we may see um, a lot of different storm patterns over our lifetime. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, a lot of that methane is captured in the oceans and uh, certain events will uh, cause it to release well and this is this is down there this is disconnected from that apparently
0: uh, according mm. to the article that i read you know it's, it's on the internet so it must be true so sure. i i'm just saying that it's 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 just an interesting puzzle that we're i don't know if that this is the truth yet or not but it's you know i'm going to continue to do some research on it
1: and so. and another uh, warning sign for uh, bad weather approaching uh, i used to live down in uh, southern florida um at a place called sanibel island and i was driving around and i saw jim cantori standing next to a uh, a large satellite truck, and I knew there was going to be trouble. So if you see Jim Cantori, <laughs> Now, who's Jim Cantore? Uh, the Weather Channel uh, guru that used to stand oh, in uh, the awesome weather and give reports while he's practically standing horizontally. <laughs> uh, next question. Brody Hefner from New York City. Linus Tech Tips found surprisingly high failure rates in popular HDMI cables using a $15,000 test device. 17% overall fail, 50% in 15-foot cables. Is there a cheaper way to test your HDMI cables? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, send them to me because I've tested every variety uh, that's out there available. And and it's true. It, it's true. There are bad HDMI and there are good HDMI. And some of them are well-named. Um, I've had f- problems with HDMI cables not working with certain cameras, like uh, my Sony camera, there are some varieties that you can buy on Amazon, just won't work. And, uh, you know, I feel your pain, Brody, because I, I don't have a $15,000 test machine. I just have my eyes and... Well, I think in. that the issue is, is that some things
0: can fail and you won't see it. So it's kind of like like when you buy a chip that's a slower clock, we were talking about this yesterday... It just means it didn't test past that clock speed effectively. Uh, It it was the same chip as the one that's a faster clock. Like, the two chips are the same. It's just that one came out more pure than the other one did and can handle, you know, the higher speeds. And so in the same case, I think that HDMI, the reason you need a $15,000... Uh, device devices because a lot of those cables are still passing video they just don't they may be just less stable on very on if you're pushing 4k through them or 4k 60 or you know other things through them they may not they may not work and we that's what we see especially um you know our anecdotal evidence which we haven't done a lot of research on is that like mono price has not been a good a good buy for us when it comes to HDMI cables the failure rate is close to 30 per thirty forty percent for me and so we don 't buy them anymore for monoprice, price, um, and uh, which we did for a while and Now I have a pile of cables that have not I got rid of <laughs> anyway but the uh, also um, if, if you haven 't seen the the brew um, uh, with uh, Linus tech tips uh, they 've stopped um, stop production so um, so Linus Tech tips is uh, on a pause right now. Um, they were basically called to the mat by I think it's Gamers Nexus about inaccuracies and rushing um, data through and not you know missing a lot of things that they should have caught. When did that happen? Over this last week, it's been a oh, wow. Boy, it's been it's a storm, a storm <laughs> like it's been a huge storm. Uh, yeah, the, so Gamers Nexus came out and and uh, just I mean it was um, it was it was the, the most effective takedown. Uh, that I've ever seen. It was not over the top. It was just, here's my concerns. Here's what we're worried about. Here's what we, you know, this is these are the issues that we see. And 45 minutes of it, I listened to all of it. And then, um, and then behind it came, uh, you know, there was an apology from Linus Tech Tips. And then they immediately said in that apology they're going to stop production and figure out how to write the ship. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, if you do a search for that, you'll, you'll see the videos. Uh, It was quite a, it was, I think that, I think that both videos uh, were good. I think that the gamers or the Linus Tech Tips uh, CEO needs to learn how to use a teleprompter because it feels, it felt really bad. (laughs) I felt really bad for him. It was, it was not, it was not a good scene. It was not a good look. Um, and, And, and it felt like Linus just at the end just was begrudgingly like pushed in front of camera and. You know, otherwise, you know, without, without the adult supervision, I think it probably would have been a little a rougher video, more defensive, um, but it was, there was a lot of mea culpa there. So, so anyway, so take a, you know, be, I think we're all going to see how that goes, you know, you know, what they, uh, they used to say uh, is that, you know, trust arrives on foot and leaves on horseback. And in the internet, I think trust arrives on foot and leaves with an F twenty (laughs) two. So, so so it's they're gonna, it's gonna be a really hard route for Linus Tech Tips to. I think they can, uh, and I hope they can because they they they've they've provided a lot of good for the you know of looking through stuff. But I have a feeling that they'll be very accurate after this. So as they get out of this, I think they're gonna. I think what we're gonna see is a lot lower production because they're pushing out twenty five videos a week. I think they, they could do one. One a day. <laughs> like, that would be enough. You know, just, you know, and slow down and make it work. I think the hard part is, is they got 120 employees. And so they, like, how do you keep everybody fed? And so I think you're going to end up seeing them uh, slow down a bit and try to try to make sure that because they, you know, that's going to be hard to un- dig out of what they got themselves dug into. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, there's another problem with HDMI cables. And there's a flood of the pre-2.x uh, specification cables And uh, they're being sold as uh, current and updated ones. The other thing I've seen a lot is on some of them, uh, particularly in the uh, AV part, um, they mentioned that they have Ethernet also. Isn't that just saying that they're up to spec to be able to pass that amount of uh, information?
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think that it's. I mean, it's hard to tell what's up to spec and what's not up to spec. I really feel like we haven't gotten. I think this has been a problem for quite some time. So so we'll, we'll, we'll. You know, HDMI cables, again, they work really well. Again, at six feet, most of them work. Uh, But as you go longer, that's where we start to see a lot of idiosyncrasies. Um, Next question.
1: Eric Herz in Hartford, Connecticut, asking, During the Zoom update yesterday, I asked about whether there were any remaining use cases for live webcasting for large corporate events. Seems like the answer is no. Do you agree with this? Go ahead, John. This is a great question.
2: You know, I've I've been watching this for years now, and I I think the product managers are wrestling with this because they announced breakout rooms and webinars. Was it last year or the year before? I can't even remember. It was so long ago, which I believe would have cannibalized meetings. And so they've got to be very careful in their product mix for each one of the platforms. But yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, hole that they've dug for themselves. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the issue really is is that um, I I think Apple is slowly killing off the idea of of doing these, um, you know, killing off the idea of talking, walking on stage and talking, which has been a bad idea for a long time. Like like it's not like this isn't <laughs> this isn't a new problem. Steve Jobs was really good at it, and so it became a thing that everyone felt like they needed to do because. You know, they were like, oh, Apple sells all this product and Steve Jobs gets up there and does these keynotes and everyone wants to see them, but not everyone is Steve Jobs. And and I think that, so the idea that we could take a model and replicate it, um, you know, the it's oftentimes, you know... Uh, you know, oftentimes it's a pretty hard thing to watch, um, for me. And and I've streamed hundreds, maybe low thousands of corporate events. So like, this is not, this is definitely something that I, I've got to sit by and I get to watch the whole thing, whether I want to or not. And, um, And I will say that the, now that I don't do it, I can be more, I can speak more freely. (laughs) So, which is that watching most stage performances is like watching a fourth grade piano recital. Like it's just, you know, they're not the C, the the C-suite doesn't do this all the time. Uh, They're not good at it. They shouldn't be on stage. Um, You know, I will, you know, I think that everybody should speak in their first, their first language. So if they're You know, this whole process of people, you know, where English is a second language for them is makes it very hard to understand what they're talking about. Um, And uh, and I think that I would rather have I'd rather have interpreters just do that thing. And, you know, and so and, and, and I feel the same way that if someone speaking English goes to another country, speak in your own language and let somebody interpret it. Don't don't try to speak. Don't try to speak another language, you know, when you're doing this, unless you're really good at it. And most of the most of the folks that do that aren't aren't very good at it. And, um, and so we get up with a lot of broken, You know, it's really hard to understand what they're saying. It's slow, it's high risk, um, it's not very interesting. It doesn't move nearly as fast as what most people are used to on TV. And I think that Apple is making it um, a thing of the past because everyone's saying, well, why do all these things after COVID have so much less energy? It's because they're trying to go back to the stage and Apple has figured out that, oh, we shouldn't go back to the stage. We should just do it. We should just do um, a uh, video. And so I think that eventually people are going to give up and start doing the videos because, and like, I think DJI is doing videos and other people are doing videos. Some people are doing videos, over, you know, where they all just kind of, kind of do a stage thing or, or they do it all over Zoom and that's not particularly good either. You know, I think that they, I think you just want to do, if you're going to do this, do it as a, um, as a pre-produced high quality video of your product. What's missing is what we add to it right here, which is Q&A. Like, so what people really want to do is they want to see the product and then they want to, you know, talk to someone about it, you know, and, and, and so I and ask questions. And I think that that's some, something that we've kind of slowly figured out and what we've seen to be really successful, both with a couple events that I've worked on as well as events that other members have worked on. Hasmuk has done this a couple times as well. If I give you all the content a week or two ahead of time, like do the announcements, do all the other things, produce it all, then I come back and open it up to Q&A when you've had time to look at that, that content. That's super powerful. Like people now, um, they have thought up the ideas, they've come up with those things. And so I'm really thinking harder about that, about how to make that smoother. Um, so you'll see some updates to what Makana does that make that a really seamless experience um and um and so so that's the but that's the kind of stuff that I think is is more interesting uh is is how do we give people the content and then give them a place to ask questions and discuss and and be part of that conversation I think that's a that's the future like I don't think that standing on stage is the future like <laughs> we're going to give that up because it's horrible to watch um you know go ahead Mitchell
1: yeah a lot of these uh, on stage events remind me of when I used to produce infomercials is when they have that slicer dice. Yeah, but they're so much
0: worse. Like, Ron Papiel was really good at what he did.
1: Like, these people no, but, are not. but it was it was the audience reactions that's, that always struck me as being fake. Like, yeah. isn't this cool? And they switched to the audience going, ooh, you know, kind of yeah. like that. And that would be the only reason you would have an audience at a live event so they can ooh and ah over whatever it is they're demoing. Yeah, but I, I think that I, I don't, I just don't know, yeah.
0: I don't know if the, how necessary that is. And and I just think that it's, I think the problem we really have in general is that we, you know, it's, you know, it's hard for us to give up the past, you know? <laughs> so, you know, people know what they know and they want to do it that way. And, and it's just not effective, you know? And so, you know, and I think that Apple fortunately is pushing part of that forward. The other part is not being pushed forward yet, um, which is the more interactive discussion. But, but I think that, um, I'm really glad, like I think WWC, the videos from WWC are 10 times better now than they ever were on stage. You know, like, we, we, you know, and, and I, I got to watch a lot of WWC videos and my whole thing was, is that, you know, there's th- 300 people in the, in the, you know, in a session for WWC at most, and there'll be 300,000 that watch that video or more, you know, at least 100,000 to watch that video. So for less than 1%, of the audience we're going to do this thing live and we're going to make the experience for everyone else worse <laughs> like everyone else you know is is going to have a, a, a have a substandard experience and now man the videos really well produced you know not complex they they build a st- they built a set obviously and did that and I just think that that's the, that's the way to do that. And I think you, you don't have to do it as, at the quality that Apple did. You could have people sitting there doing their presentations at a desk and having a telestrator that they can, t- you know, they can draw on and do the demos or whatever. And it would still, it's just the, the viewability and the evergreen nature of it is much higher when you just pre-record it. Um, yeah, it's just, but it's super hard to watch. Um, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael is here with a question. Llama GPT is an implementation of Meta's Llama 2 LLM that runs completely on the user's device. Could you see it being used for privacy-sensitive use cases like education and healthcare? Go ahead, John.
2: Happy to answer this question. I just got a text from Andy Carluccio, and he says it's absolutely possible to get the live Q&A data from the SDK, and he gave me a link. I'll put it in the chat room.
0: But is it the SDK or OSC?
2: Uh, SDK. Okay. Yep. I don't and he gives me an that. example, and I'll post that into the chat room. Okay, great. Uh, Douglas, I answered this question, I don't know, about a month ago. Yes, so we're running Llama 2 on a, a machine that's got a 4090 card in it. And it, it, runs, it runs slow, and it's not as good as GPT-4. It's about equivalent to GPT-3. <laughs> Sorry, but you will see LLMs will be running... Locally, especially in a, in a business environment, uh, those ones that are super sensitive of getting out any private data or allowing their users to use a, a cloud-based LLM, you will see LLMs be deployed within an enterprise. And OpenAI through through Azure has a on-premise uh, product that they're launching as well for that specific reason.
1: Next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, uh, Twitch plans to roll out a long-requested anti-harassment feature within weeks that automatically blocks a streamer's banned users from watching their streams. Will this catch on with other platforms? What's your comment?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna.
1: I know that that Elon Musk is going the other direction by,
0: not, by taking away our ability to block. Uh, you know, people and so on and so forth. But the future is going to be what I will uh, term intentional communities. And you're going to see the, you're going see something that looks like that. It may not be that word. It may be something else. Um, but just know that it's coming. And people are going to get to be able to build communities that they don't have to deal with anybody that is problematic. <laughs> you know, and the biggest problem that this is going to create is that there's 20% of the population that probably just doesn't interact with people very well. And, they won't have anywhere to go so so you know so that's going to be a that's going to be a problem because um i think that as we move more into an online world um you know we're, we're going to stop putting up with trolls and that and we have the tools to, to, to do that so next question
1: from Nick Holton in Woking, Woking, um, UK, sorry. I have a base M1 Mac Mini running Zoom ISO to DeckLink Duo 2. If I want more than four 1080p ISO feeds, does the panel recommend a single DeckLink quad card, or should I move to a more powerful Mac with two Thunderbolt controllers? Um, I... I've been very
0: successful. We, we, one, of, one of the machines that we have right now is on, a, on the quad card, and it's been, I think, very successful. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's worked great. So um, I would recommend going ahead and, and getting, you can definitely run it on a single quad card, and it's, it's been really successful for us. And I think the utilization on that M1 Mac Mini is like 54% or something like that. So it's, it's, not, it's not pushing it too hard to, to do that. So I, I would go that direction. Next question.
1: Talalik Lopez-Waterman from Galisteo, New Mexico. Is it true that X and Twitter is going to remove the ability to block?
0: That's the, that's the rumor that, that um, Elon Musk has said a couple times is going to take away blocking. Uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that works. I think this really affects celebrities more than average people. I don't block that many people. Um, I uh, I block a lot of ads, so that might be where he's trying. Why it's <laughs> impacting Twitter uh, is that people block the ads. I kind of block them as a sport. So as ads come up, I just block, 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 block. Um, and I think maybe more people are like me, which is definitely going to impact Twitter's ability to generate revenue. Um, and so, uh, so maybe that's the reason he's taking that away. My the tool that I use the most because I don't really care if people tweet at me. Like I'm, I think a lot of people do. I just mute things. I, there's probably 150 to 200 terms that I mute. And um, so I don't use Twitter as a news gathering organiza- you know, um, tool. I use it as a, I want to see things that are interesting to me. And so I get rid of things that I consider news out of Twitter mostly because I just, um, I don't feel like people on Twitter should be the people I should be listening to around what's happening in the world. <laughs> sorry. It's just sorry. I just like, I'm just not, not interested in their opinions um, around politics and, other things like that. So, I, so I'm, I'm mostly interested in people who are coders and audio engineers and video people and people that are funny. I follow a lot of people that are just funny for no reason. Um, and so, uh, uh, so anyway, so those are the things that, that, I, that, I, that I find very enjoyable and I block almost everything. I block, I mute almost everything else. So, but I've only probably blocked two or three people. Um, next question.
1: Eric hers from Hartford, Connecticut asked, We lost deals because we could not integrate Zoom Q&A into our multicast app. We did get native WebEx Q&A into our app. If we could get a Zoom or get Zoom to add live webinar Q&A, Q&A access to their SDK, not just OSC, then this would help us. Yeah, John,
0: John just um, uh, outlined, and, and I went back and forth with Andy as well. You can absolutely... Uh, um, is that you can absolutely get the Q&A data from the SDK. So, so take, a, take a closer look at that and probably reach out to the team if you need to. Um, next question.
1: Khalid Ajumaya from Hassa, Saudi Arabia. Is there any portable label printer that could use a one roll of label and cut it into multiple sizes during printing, passed on the print job sent to it? Um, a portable, well, it depends on how big the label
0: or is so I don't know I mean so so you can get um, you know it depends on if you're just doing length or are you doing width I mean so like a little thing like this P Touch Cube this is what I label everything with it's sitting on my desk because I am con- and all I do is I uh, I pair my phone with it and I type in what I want to come out come out the top <laughs> and uh, so you can see these are the you know and it, and it it just automatically cuts that for me on the way out. Um, it does do different thicknesses, but not on the fly. So I think this will do up to one inch. The Plus does up to one inch. The uh, the regular one doesn't. It's worth, the Plus is worth it. Um, and I have a lot of different tape for these. Um, so I have this, uh, Brady makes some that will print on metal and all kinds of thicker things. And so you can look at that as well. Their software isn't as good uh, and it's a little harder to use, um, but they, uh, it prints on a lot of other things. Um, but I don't know of any, you know, those are the, yeah, and, and Mitch is showing the, I think it's the one inch tape. And that, that goes into the Cube Plus, Mitch?
1: Uh, it's the, uh, <laughs> it's just a big one. <laughs>
0: it's, yeah, it's yeah, on yeah, the desk. yeah, But you can, but yeah, so, but those are the things that you can, uh, um, those are things that I would use there. And you can, by the way, this, this also works, um, whoops, this also works uh, with uh, USB-C into, um, or USB, I don't know, I think it's micro, but to USB into your Mac, or PC, so you can just have it up. And the software actually is more full-featured on the computers than it is on the phone, but the phone is really convenient. So we sit there and do it pretty quickly. Yeah, go ahead, Laura.
3: The only thing I'm wondering is, is he talking about labels like that, or is he talking about more like bigger, like shipping address label
0: type things? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. And I I know
3: those don't.
0: Yeah, generally once they get bigger than about an inch or an inch and a half, or maybe even two inches, you really have ones that are pre-built at a certain certain size um but uh um, there might be one that has I think there's one that has rolls but I think you have to cut it like you have to pull it out and slice it so it's like a larger roll that'll roll out I think I can't remember who makes that um but it's not but it doesn't pre-cut those
1: you have to cut them with a you know uh, on the way through uh, next question Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Apple announced Zoom and FaceTime availability for tvOS 17 at WWDC. My old Apple TV 4, aka HD, is not supported. It's my view that there will be a new Apple TV box coming fourth quarter with beefed up specs. What are your thoughts? Go ahead, John. Man, we
2: hope, right? It's been a while for the updates on the Apple TV. And since they announced the soccer deal, you'd think that they would want to beef that up for all the new services that they're going to be uh, rolling out over the next, what, decade or something?
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I always felt like Apple should have released it with, it had a USB-C, but it was only for services. And I always thought that eventually they were going to release that so you could put a webcam on it. Now, I guess they have the phone, but it would be really, it seems like the phone is a really cumbersome way to connect to your TV. Um, you know, and so I feel like Apple could put a, um, a USB back and allow you to put a, camera on it so that people could interact with each other so i i think that the, for the most part the apple tvs are woefully overpowered um and, you know they're not quite as fast as the chips that are out there for um uh they're not quite as fast as the chips that are out there for the for your phone it's as
1: if they took the ones that didn't work on the phone put it in the, into the into the apple tv i don't know anyway mitch I'm just going to say, didn't Samsung run into a lot of trouble putting a camera on their TV for the? I wouldn't put control? it on the TV. I wouldn't put it on the TV. Yeah. I would put it as a USB
0: connection, you know, to a camera that you could use. So if you choose to put it, if you choose to put it into your Apple TV and you choose to run it on top of your TV, you can interact with people. Building it, I got a Samsung and it had a camera, and the first thing I did is put gaff tape over that camera, like you know, and and I don't let my TVs talk to the internet. I think it's a horrible idea, so I don't, I don't. Um, so my TVs are never connected via Wi-Fi or via Ethernet. They're not allowed to talk to them. You know, I don't need updates. They just need to see the HDMI. <laughs> just like, like, you know, like, you know, just do what I tell you to do. <laughs> so that's how I interact with my, my televisions. Um, next question.
1: From Bobby Rafferty in Florida. What do you think of this 3D scanner on Kickstarter? And what should someone be looking for in a 3D scanner? Good,
0: John.
2: You know i looked at this thing i think alex is right i think we're going to see stereoscopic cameras inside of the iphone and it's going to be game over when that happens and it's going to be very cool because it's going to be integrated into the whole apple ecosystem yeah
0: Yeah, i think it's going to be really easy this is looks like it's multiple lidar systems that are um that are or or yeah so multiple lidar systems that are providing potentially a very high accuracy uh, I'm going to try to get a older one because I think it'll be really interesting to test. Um, so, so we'll see we'll, more on that as it, as it progresses. Next question.
1: Film at 11. Next question from Eric Herz in Hartford, Connecticut. Let's talk more about multicast. OBS can send MPEG-TS via multicast for playback with VLC. This works great except on Wi-Fi, which needs FEC to mitigate packet loss. Thoughts? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think the, again, you have to decide where you're going to use the multicast and what tech stack are you going to build it on. Are you are you do you control the entire network or are you dealing with a, um, you know the 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 issue is is, uh, yeah, are you dealing with the entire network or are you, um. Dealing with an IT division, you know, I'll I'll see. We might do a Saturday session with a friend of mine that knows more than I do about the multicast stuff. They might be able to answer some of your questions more specifically. But the biggest problem that we've had in the past is that multicast across networks, the IT departments generally lock every all the ports down that multicast uses, and so and they don't necessarily want to open open them up for this. So I think that that's that's the real challenge. Works really well. We've even had it work on Wi-Fi. Just depends on the access points. Um, and, but, but like for corp, you know, like industrial grade access points have been fine with multicast in our experience. Um, you know, we've had 30, when I talked about 30,000 people, it's all over wifi. <laughs> so, so, so it definitely can work over Wi um, to, to make that happen. But again, you have to build the network for it. And
1: that's the, that's the challenge most people get themselves into. Uh, next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, Paul asked, Is this the mute button to end all mute buttons? On-air warning, illuminated covers your mic and cam, and looks totally cool. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I I think I brought this same device up earlier in the week, and as a self-professed mutant, um, I had to review it uh, extensively, and I will say that... It uh, as far as the elimination goes, uh, the little panel you can put on your uh, TV set that tells you whether your cam is on or off. Um, it has a, uh, a soon to be coming uh, three button switch that looks like suspiciously like X keys, um, and it is a hardware based device. I just think it looks a little goofy. And if you look at their videos, um, there is some some pretty obvious grammatical and spelling errors on him, which uh, puts me off a little bit. But like all all mute buttons, uh, this mutant likes to uh, look at all of them and uh, consider them all possible. Go ahead, John. I've been using this
2: mute button for three and a half years now quite effectively. (laughs) I think I've failed maybe 1%
1: of the time. (laughs) This is my safety. Uh, All right, next question. Next one in from John Fisher in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Does the YOLO box's built-in cellular connection hold up well at crowded outdoor events? Are there bonded options?
0: I don't know. I mean, what we've been really looking at with the YOLO box has been specifically streaming to Instagram for clients, um, but I haven't we haven't tested it anywhere else. Go ahead, John.
2: This is super strange that you just asked this question. So Carlos is the is one of the distributors or maybe the master distributor for the YOLO box. This week, he showed a bonded box solution that he's reselling in condition. In addition to the Yolo box, he's he's up on Facebook, uh, Carlos. I can't remember Carlos's last
1: name. So I'll find it. <laughs> put, put it in the uh, put it in the chat room. Sounds good. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asked, "With Twitch banning simulcasting in most cases, except to mobile-first services that support live streaming, what services do you think that they mean by mobile 1st Um, I think,
0: I don't know what they mean by mobile first services, but this is generally you being able to stream from your phone rather than what they don't want is RTMP out. And the reason they don't want that is because when you simulcast, usually they, people do just kind of throw, like we have a lot of clients that go, we're going to stream to this, 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 and then we will throw it to Twitch, you know, like, and then they're not really paying attention to the community and that is not good for the brand. And so I think that's usually why people, people want you to focus on them.
1: Go ahead, Mitchell. Isn't uh, Mobile First also the name of the uh, AT and T preferred uh, tier service? No, no, RGC? I think it's, I,
0: th- I think the Mobile First is is this is in this case I think it really has to do with like I think that what they're talking about is Mobile First services are like Instagram. So Instagram technically you can't stream from anything other than a mobile phone. You you, you also I think that you can now do it with uh, TikTok, um, but there's a couple different ones that. But I bet you that this one specifically is pointed at. If you're streaming to, uh, take uh, Instagram, it's okay to stream to Twitch at the same time. I think that's what they're—that's all they're saying. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas asked, Does Sharper Image have any cool, useful gadgets or devices?" Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, we were talking about this uh, pre-show, and I just made the observation that they really don't seem to have anything other than a bunch of you know junky plastic uh, devices. It, they don't have the coolness factor that allowed them to be shown in Bond movies uh, some time ago. So other than a few, uh, some, de- they have a cool um, bird feeder with a camera built into it. That's the only thing that I saw that looked kind of neat.
0: I mean, and they always have cool things. It's just that, do you really need them? I think that's the problem that you get into is like, really, do we need this? Uh, next question.
1: Uh, Douglas Carmichael asking, I've noticed that Abel Cine rents the Trinity system, but how do you learn to operate it? Are there formal training courses you can take, or is it more about apprenticing under an experienced operator? It's more about being available
0: if a Trinity operator needs another Trinity, for some reason, needs to replace the one that they have. Having something available is useful. The Trinity is not something you're going to rent and just start figure out how to use. So, um, you know, and I think that if you're a very advanced Steadicam operator, you may rent a Trinity. You know, you'll need a week with it. You'll get something out of it, but you know, you're really, you know, that much. I think it's for, for very advanced uh, Steadicam operators that want to extend something for a very specific shot. Uh, they're not going to be able to do everything that what of what you saw Joe talking about in your in in a week. Uh, but uh, but they could probably do some useful things. Like they can see where the edge is, like, oh, I couldn't do this. But they'd, it'd probably be the high end uh, of the cam operators that just don't aren't ready to buy one or only need it for a week for a specific shot. Go ahead,
1: Mitchell. I would think you'd have to do a lot of research to determine uh, whether you really want to get into that uh, line of work because I noticed uh, when Joe did his demo the other day, that he is of a particular build and height and uh, shape uh, that is required to operate a steady cam or a Trinity rig like that. Um, I don't think it's for everybody. I think that it would be a shame to go out and spend whatever that astronomical price yeah, is to own I think it. That-
0: I, I, yeah, not for the own it, definitely. But but for this, I, I could see you being a really good SETI cam operator and there's just a shot coming up that you can't do. And then you might go to the Trinity training and get trained on it and then rent the camp, rent the head because the head is gonna be the hundred fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars or whatever the number is to um to buy it. And so you're gonna, you don't want to buy it. You're just gonna rent it for the day. But you, you probably would take the Trinity training. Like you, you would already be a good Steadicam operator, and then you would take the Trinity training for three days or a week or whatever. And then you would rent this for a gig. And that's also sometimes how a lot of us get into something. You start renting that, and you rent it back. You rent it from Able Cine, You mark it up fifteen percent. You rent it to the client. And if it's a low level Trinity solution, you could probably as a Steadicam operator you're charging a little bit more and everything else. And you start putting that money away and you start figuring out if there's demand. And then that's when you start thinking about buying the, the rig, you know? And so it is a way that you can get yourself kind of into the system. Um, you know, again, when you first, when I'm sure when Joe first bought the Trinity, he was already a very seasoned Steadicam operator. So I think you have to start there. You, you know, I would say there's probably five years of being a Steadicam operator before you want to buy a, or rent, even rent a Trinity rig, you know, to, to make that work. Uh, next question.
1: Yeah, I've got a question. Uh, does Taylor Swift constitute an entire industry with a 1.2 billion North American gross? <laughs> Go ahead, Mitchell. I just saw that on the news the other day, and I think that, that it literally, if you make over a billion dollars, you've got to say, that's unique to well, me. I'm not this- in the concert business. I'm in the whatever this it,
0: is. It's good for press. But remember, those concerts are pretty expensive to put up, pull off. So, so you know, she, it's not going to... I mean, she's going to make money at it, but we just have to remember that, you know, there's a, you know, that's a gross. That's not a... And the question is, are they calculating the retail sale of those tickets or the original sale price of those tickets, which is much lower than the retail? So I think that there's a bunch of things, there's a bunch of math there that we're not seeing that we just want to make sure we're clear. No, it is... Unbelievably massive, um, but but I'm just saying that it's it may not be as impressive as it as it looks when they just give the gross out. Go ahead, John. All I have to say is good for her. That's I think it's yeah. great. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, masterful, masterful uh, you know thing to put together. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, not everybody's going to achieve that level of uh, uh, of quality and uh, almost no one. And she has also give her credit. Um, in fact, we were talking about this pre-show with Dave Troutman that she gives quite a bit of money to the uh, food banks in each city she goes into. And she's also been generous with her uh, employees. She has like 30 trucks that uh, require to move her show around and just gave each one of those drivers a $100,000 bonus. So she's not stingy about it. I can yeah, see it, it can go to 1.2. So smart.
0: She's so smart. Like, she's got she you know that the, you know she can really def, you know i think she's doing it for the right reasons but i'm just saying just from the purely cynical reasons of deflecting the fact that she's an artist making incredible amounts of money making sure to spread that wealth out and this is what i think a lot of people who make a lot of money don't do very well i mean when you're when you're making a a fair amount of money it's one thing when you start making an absurd amount of money and figuring out a way to um you know spread it out a little bit and make other people feel it you know it's still a small percentage of what she's going to make um you know is a really really just good business you know and so i i don't know how much money she's given to the food banks but i think in the article i read in about san francisco as the san francisco food bank said that she gave enough money for them to feed 500,000 people for 10 years <laughs> like it wasn't like it was like an incredible amount of money and most of the most of them have said it's the largest single donation to their food bank in the history of the food bank you know so so it's you know they're not she's it's not like she's doing a little bit of it, and she's not letting them talk about the numbers. Like, she's just, you know, I think that none of them have said what the number is. They they can give equivalents, but they can't say what the number is itself. Um, so it's not really about big press, although it's getting it's getting more and more press.
1: Is, isn't is it possible that they're in a room somewhere that all the touring managers for all the other bands out there are saying, how do we do that? And then all of a sudden ticket you know, prices are astronomical. It's, well, remember that... Um,
0: Uh, uh, the, the issue is, is that they're not getting that money right now. And this is a real problem for the artist is that there's a big difference between the, what they sell the ticket for and what it ends up being. And so what they, what they need to figure out is how to, there's a lot of conversations bouncing around about locking tickets to your phone or locking tickets to your you know, all the stuff about being able to verify who you are um, is important because and that's what Amazon's working on. That's what other people are working on is saying, I'm gonna sell you this ticket and you're the only one that can show up with it. You know, like like you have to you have to come with your ticket or or let it go by because the artists really wanna get rid of StubHub. You know, like they really want to get rid of the resale of of tickets because they don't get any money out of it. They don't there's no upside. So their fans are getting fleeced. Um, and they're, uh, so the fans are getting fleeced and the, and the, um, and the artists aren't getting anything out of it. And so there's a, there's a strong current of how do we, and the problem is, is the Ticketmaster makes money because I think they have money. And a lot of these resale Ticket Ticketmaster owns part of it. <laughs> so, so they're making money on both ends. And so that's the hard part is Ticketmaster, you know, Live Nation and Ticketmaster have locked up most of the, most of the venues. Um, so there's a lot, but there's a lot of movement in this area because the artists don't like the fact that they're their fans are getting um, the a raw a raw deal and so are they <laughs> like usually usually that that creates an opportunity for disruption next
1: question from Douglas Carmichael how would you stream content into discord or other mac os apps that don't support virtual cameras would a web presenter be what you'd want or would there be another hdmi sdi to usb converter that could work yeah there's uh in the Discord,
0: I think, I mean, there's cam links. The problem with the cam link is it overheats a little bit. The Elgato cam link has a tendency to overheat. So you, that's the simple, one of the simplest ones. Um, there's lots of relatively inexpensive converters. Um, we still have to go through and kind of research some of those because I have, I have some limited uh opinions about that about that process but the um there is a uh all, there's a mini converter uh which is a, you can do up to 3G you might, I don't think there's a 12G one but there's a 3G mini converter from Blackmagic that's like 100 bucks or something and it will do HDMI and SDI and it will go into USB C and so those there's a couple different
1: options there next question Next question in from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. What is a recommended floor mat for an office, preferably something softer rubberized that will handle a lot of chair movement? Well, what
0: I will tell you is is that I would typically um, recommend um, carpet <laughs> so so I have a carpet um, I, I have a relatively inexpensive uh, a carpet that is um, that I use for uh that I use there. And the reason for that is it's that it's, it's nice to roll over, but it also is, uh, it allows me to, um, it cuts down on the reflections, audio reflections. So it kind of is two birds with one stone. So that's the thing that I would, I would recommend. Um, I would strongly recommend thinking about, um, as you, as you go through that. And I find that it's been pretty useful for me. Uh, we're about to jump into the second hour. Uh, just quick reminders that tomorrow, uh, we're going to have Monday. We're going to have some fun on Monday. Uh, we talk about production stories. So, panelists are just going to come in and tell you like, stories that they learned something from. So like like it could be good, it could be bad, but we're just going to give you kind of a fun uh, background of, of some of the things that are actually happening here. Tuesday, Nick Justin is going to be here and he's going to be talking about iPhone LiDAR uh, for photogrammetry and Unreal Engine. So that's going to be pretty cool. So he's, um, Nick, of course, is is head of Immersive at uh, at Drexel University. So it's, and uh, you saw him with our live coverage of Seagraph. Wednesday, we have audio day uh, brainstorming. So we're going to just talk about what we want to talk about. You know, we do this every once in a while. And so we're going to, we did it the last time all in one week. And we thought that was a little too much brainstorming. So we're going to do it. We're going to break them up a little bit. So, um, so audio day brainstorming is going to be on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, we're going to talk about camera rigging. So, the the a lot of us have a lot of cheese plates, and we have. Um, you know, arms and things and all these other little bits and pieces. And so we're going to talk about how we use all of these um, to do rigging. And then uh, Friday we're going to talk about custom computing with uh, Puget Systems. Uh, it's they're great. We've had them on in the past and just had a really great time talking with them about that those things. Uh, and then uh, Saturday and Sunday, of course, Saturday is a broadcasted Q and A. So more of the technical stuff. Sunday is always like tomorrow is introspection, uh, where we kind of talk more inside baseball. And of course, remember that there is a. Uh, there's a lab at on noon Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, where we talk. Where we get a chance for you to kind of practice your skills as a reader or host or panelist. So stay tuned for that. Now I'm going to hand it off to Laura Thompson to uh, run the second hour.
3: Welcome back to the second hour. Let's get back into these questions, Mitchell. What do we have next?
1: Thank next you, Laura, question. from Douglas Carmichael. The Swedish Gaming Convention DreamHack has the Guinness World Record for the fastest internet connection at 1.6 terabytes per second. Second fastest is the Gathering in Norway with 200 gigabits per second from Norwegian ISP AltaBox. Could we conceivably do the same in the U.S.?
3: Go ahead, John.
2: Cisco, Cisco has announced a 20-terabit router, and Juniper has announced an 80-terabit router. So the hardware's out there, but connecting it all, to the weakest length is, is the problem. Uh, but you're gonna see terabit routers be pretty commonplace here.
3: Mitchell?
1: I got a question uh, regarding reading this question. Is it when you see a lowercase b, when you're explaining the, uh, the speed, is that bits? Or if it goes uppercase, is it bytes? Because correct. sometimes- I'm... That's correct. So bits for lowercase, bytes for uppercase.
3: Next question.
1: Next question from Chris Weider in Lafayette, Indiana. Scientists recreate Pink Floyd songs by reading brain signals of listeners. It's being reported. For music producers, does this lead to creating music aimed at areas of the brain to control mood?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: I, I hate this technology. I just want to say, like, like, I just think that the whole brain, reading brain, people's brain signals is a uh, is a horrible idea. Like, and we should, you know, I, I don't. I, I'm usually pretty open to te- new technology, but um, I, I think that there's so
1: many there's so many bad places this goes. Go
3: ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, you also have to consider what condition the uh, listener is in when they're listening to Pink Floyd. <laughs>
0: Can be kind of warped. It's kind of like, well, it's kind of a song, but we
1: don't know, really know what it is. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas jumps in with What is Windows Hello? And when should you use it?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: I, I have no idea. I just raised my hand because no one else did. I, what is a Windows Hello? I don't.
3: I think Windows Hello is Microsoft's answer to. Um, Face ID, Um, Face ID, Touch ID. It's a it's a it's a login for Windows, if I'm correct on that. Yeah, I don't use it. So I have to kind of
0: stumped on that one.
3: Yeah. Paul, you stumped us. Next question.
1: Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois, regarding Steadicam shots. Do others sometimes frame the shots remotely or always the operator? Does the operator have comms for direction from the director, et cetera?
3: Go ahead,
0: Alex. Often many people have comms. And so a lot of these, what's interesting, film sets are really more of a walkie-talkie thing. Um, So when you you talk to film folks and you start bringing out like Free Speaks or or Boleros from Riedel, uh, you're, you're... you're, the people are like, what are these? Oh, wow, you've got four channels. You can just do it. Like, it's a different thing because uh, most most of the time when you, when you look at film sets, they're mostly driven by uh, walkie-talkies. But you'll see a lot of folks with walkie-talkies on and in their ear, and that's a great way to communicate and talk about, talk about what needs to get done. So you definitely see that. I don't think they usually do it during the shot. Usually they talk about what they want during the shot you know, to get a steady shot, you really have to be, you practice it and then you expect that operator to execute it. And then you come back and you might talk over comms about what just happened, but you don't usually talk during this, during the show, to my knowledge.
3: Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, what Alex just said, because on a few times that I've been able to afford a steady cam shot, uh, for corporate gigs. Uh, it's walking through it over and over saying, this is what I want to do. And then the Steadicam operator would say, well, it'd be better if I did this. So you kind of negotiate uh, what, uh, what kind of a shot it's been done. And that's all done in advance of doing it. And then while they're doing it, like Alex said, you leave them alone, let them do their job. And you're looking at a remote monitor or over the shoulder, if you can, of the uh, Steadicam operator. But uh, rarely, if ever, have I ever talked in their ear while they were trying to accomplish a shot. Next question, yeah. Eric Hurz from Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, Most hardware encoder devices seem to only support H.264. When will these devices support AVI? Go
3: ahead, Alex.
0: And that's actually AV1, um, and the uh, it's a lot more processing power required um, to 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 make that work. So. Uh, I think it's probably going to be a little ways out before we see AV1 support, but there's, uh, I'm going to guess this next coming upcoming NAB is where you'll probably start to see AV1 um, coming out in a more more wide fashion across hardware encoders.
3: Next question.
1: Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana asking, what are people doing about the SanDisk SSD controversy and failure?
3: Go ahead, Alex. I
0: think we should call it the Sandisk uh, kerfuffle of 2023, and uh, and we should uh, just buy new discs. <laughs> That's what you do with it. You use the old discs for something else. You just, uh,
1: but but yeah, just you just move on. There's nothing else to do. Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I'm sorry to ask this, but what kerfuffle or what? Oh, some what of these, failure? some
0: of the Sandisks we've had um, higher. This
1: this is the one. Hold on.
0: Uh we've had some issues with these ones, the ones a we'll little handle on them, uh, where they, um, if this one is plugged in, for instance, to my computer, when it starts up, my computer will never get to startup phase. So this, you know, and then that's the biggest problem I've had with this one specifically with other ones. We've had some, um, we've had some losses. So, uh, so I'm not using them for mission critical stuff anymore. So that's, that's the issue.
3: Next question
1: from paul wallace in austin texas lyft and uber threatened to leave minneapolis if the mayor signs a minimum wage ordinance by august 23rd mandating at least a dollar 40 a mile and point uh, 51 cents a minute for drivers discuss
3: go ahead alex
1: i mean it's their right to leave if,
0: if they don't if, it, if it's they're just saying it doesn't have a business the business model breaks if they do that and then then they're gonna not be there and that'll be a pretty big impact on a lot of communities if that happens. I think that uh yeah, so, so we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens, but you know, they make I think it's just a business decision on their end. I mean, they yeah. don't, it, I don't know if it breaks even if they have to pay that. You know, that's the problem really. And I you know, I talked to an Uber driver who uh was from what was it the uh he was from Sudan. He was considered a lost boy, you know, so he was literally defined as a lost boy. Um, and I, he picked me up in an Uber in DC when I was out there in May. And he, um, he came here, he spent, I mean, it was an incredible story. I got his, I got his card because I want to bring him on to talk about it. But he spent five years in a, in a refugee camp in Ethiopia and then another five year or 10 years in a refugee camp. So he's in his mid twenties by the time he came to the United States. And, um, and, uh, spent time in Michigan and then, uh, and then, you know, kind of moved around. And by the time I met him, he was making a pretty good amount of money in DC as an Uber driver. Like, I don't, I won't get into the numbers, but, you know, six figures, you know, in, in, uh, in, um, you know, driving Uber. Now he drives a lot. It's like 12 hours a day. Um, so he is busy, but it's not, he was making a living there and, and he, uh, his whole thing was he didn't need any because I asked him flat out, do you need Uber to pay you more or do whatever? And he's like, no, you just have to, it's a lot of work. But he goes, the ability to get this job was a big deal to him, you know, without having to, you know, apply for, you know, like he had to show that he was an upstanding citizen, but he didn't have to apply, you know, apply to jobs and so on and so forth. Um, so it was, a, so I think that we have to always look at the opportunities that it provides for a lot of people um, before we start deciding how they, how that works. I mean, we have to find, the, the big problem we have right now I don't know if I should talk about this, but the big problem we have right now is that when we create these, 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 those requirements, we create a cliff like this, it's really hard for people to get over that are here. <laughs> you know? And so uh, you know, we need to keep on thinking about what, what does that look like? You know, how, do you, how do you create a ramp that you can start on and end up somewhere else? Um, and so that's the thing I'm always thinking about. Uh, next question.
1: Hear more from Auckland, New Sorry. Zealand. We'll work Sorry. it out. Um, I know we like URLs in advance, but Andy, the guitar geek, did this vid the other day with guests in speaker cabs. Is it an OBS trick, a video editing trick? I've sti- time-stamped it to hit play, then pause. Uh, go ahead, John.
2: John, e- easy to do to Sorry. easy to do with OBS, but getting the remote contributors into that machine is the is the harder part. So you're using zoom iso or anything else but uh, this should be relatively easy with uh with the uh, one of the more advanced daytime huh, Alex.
0: uh yeah no, i i didn't i didn't have a chance to look at it it was during our show so i, I don't, i'm not i haven't been able to view it but ask if, if, the, if you have videos that you want us to see the best time to ask the question is long before the show so we can we can sit there and, and take a look at it you can do them during the week during the show but especially for me because there's so many questions coming up that I'm answering. I have a hard time seeing things in the middle of the show.
3: Speaking of questions, um, just a reminder that our audience can submit and vote on their questions at any time because this show is completely driven by your questions. Next question.
1: From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, discuss how robots equipped with cameras, sensors, AI, and lasers are helping spot and repair problems with bridges, ships, and other critical infrastructure in the U.S. Go
3: ahead, Mitchell.
1: Robots and lasers—what could go wrong? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, you know, I think that one of the this is a great place
0: where a lot of this me- mechanism and AI and, and so on and so forth can make a huge difference. If you look at like a lot of the do- you know, the ro- Boston Robotics dogs that now have lidar scanners on the top of them, the ability to carpet information and get it in a regular regular um, interval is so much higher. Um, than it has been in the past, we're going to be able to see a lot more because we're not trying to send a person in there. And especially we're not sending people in some cases into dangerous locations. I have a friend that makes robots that go into volcanoes and go into other things like that. And you're putting things in and measuring things and figuring
1: things out that you just can't put a human into. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here. Next question. Falek like Lopez Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico, asks: Has anyone used Euro hardware? What are some of the pros and cons? And there's a link to it.
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: They're good. They're good. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that are
0: using the Aero, um, um hardware, and they seem to be happy with it. I think that that the uh, I'm using Amplify, which is the kind of the consumer uh, ubiquity uh, stuff, which I do not like. I'm, I am thinking, of still getting, I haven't no I mean, Ubiquity, uh, we use Meraki in the office. Um, I'm going to probably switch my house over at some point to Ubiquity, um, APs and everything else, but I haven't, haven't gotten quite to it yet. Um, and, uh, but I think that that's the, um, uh, I think that Ubiquity is what I would do is if I really needed professional grade, but I, but as far as a, um, a consumer grade, you know, Wi-Fi and so on and so forth for your house. I I, I know a lot of friends that are really happy with the Eros.
3: Next question.
1: From John Fisher in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Can Mitchell elaborate his comment about a recent batch of HDMI cables being not as advertised? Because I just bought a bunch of 6 foot 8K 48 gigabits per second HDMI cables from Monoprice on sale for 99 cents each.
3: Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Well, uh, the, the case that I was mentioning is that um, ever since they went to uh, specification 2.x on HDMI communication, there's a lot of pre-cables um, that were out there. And uh, I think the market kind of got flooded with them. So we'll call them gray market cables. So that's just one case of a situation where there might be a problem. And you, if you can't guarantee that those c- cables are uh, spec'd for this new HDMI capability, if you're using it in an AV system, it's going to mess with your EDID and handshaking between the monitor and the, um, uh, and the playback device. Uh, other things are that just some of them don't work. And I think Alex said earlier, uh, some of the uh, chips in them are not quite up to snuff when you're pushing that level of uh, speed. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah,
0: if they work, they work. But you'll find that sometimes that they're there and then they, they, you'll get different devices that don't necessarily work as well with them. That's the real challenge that I've had is that it's not that the monoprice stuff doesn't work any time. It just doesn't work all the time. And so that's the thing you have, to be, you have to kind of keep your eyes out for.
3: Next question.
1: Eric Hers in Hartford, Connecticut. Is the future of video compression to be the MPEG standard of VVC or open source with AV1?
3: Go ahead, Alex
1: um i think av1
0: is kind of a, a lot of the big companies have moved past it the, you know the mpeg so painfully mismanaged you know the whole h264 and h265 licensing um their the demands that they made were unreasonable and insane you know and apple was willing to pay them because it gave them a competitive advantage but they created this uh, they created av1 by just really screwing up what they were doing with with the uh, with h264 and h265
2: Go ahead, John. Yeah, Alex is absolutely right. If we had enough bandwidth, we wouldn't need compression. If we all had a terabit connection to our houses, yes. we wouldn't need any compression at all. I'm a huge fan of AV1. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. We love the B-Link, but there's an upper tier of mini PCs with names like Mini's Forum, GMK Tech, 600 to $800. Your thoughts? Go ahead, Alex. You know, I, I think that, you know,
0: they're fine. I, I think that for me, once I get over about $600, I'm buying Macs. So I have like my below $600 is all PCs. My above $15,000 or 12000 or $15,000 is all PCs. Between, for me, between about five or $600 and about $12,000 is a Mac world, unless I have a very specific need for a PC. Um, you know, I think that, that we are looking at some really heavy duty ones, um, uh, in the future, in the near future here. But but that's, um, but that's there are things that the Mac can't do. Um, as far as these go, you know, I'm not sure what I would need them for. So I think if you ask a time when Courtney's on or something like that, you might get a, a more complete answer for how a PC user would use them.
3: Yeah, I will say that there are things that are, I, I have both a Mac and a PC sitting on my desk right here and I pretty much am now Mac split, split about 50-50 Mac and PC. But I find every day I'm going more and more and more towards my MacBook Pro. Next question.
1: Eric hers in Hartford, Connecticut asking, does anyone use the custom live streaming feature of Zoom or is the best practice to only send our TMP from a kit?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: I think the custom live streaming from Zoom is a really convenient way to work. Um, I think the reason that we send this out is that the quality of our video is actually higher going through our system. All the graphics that pop up and all the other things in the background are in a much are in a less compressed state um, as they go out than what we would get in Zoom. So that's why we do that. So um, the this has to do with the limitations of our WebRTC compared to a more buffered system. So so I think it just depends on what you do. I think it's great that the, the features there. I think if you have the tools to do it in post and you're doing your graphics and everything else downstream from Zoom, it's going to look better if you do it with a separate RTMP
3: ingest. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas is here. Nestle, Unilever, and other big advertisers are experimenting with using generative AI ads, but may many remain wary of the security, copyright, and data bias risks. Discuss.
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: Well, I think that's the advantage that Adobe you know has is
0: that they're saying you know everything here is all spoken for, so we're we're actually you know and so I think that you're going to see more people using things that are a known asset I, th- I think mid journey is great, I think it's really fun, I think I enjoy it. I use it for my presentations, I use it for a lot of different things, but that's always going to be something that hangs over AI is where did the data come from, and is it you know and until the lawsuits wind their way through the courts. Um, it's going to be difficult for larger organizations that could become a big target. Even just getting sued is going to cost them hundreds of thousands or a low millions of dollars to defend. So it's not a matter of whether they win or lose. It's like, is it worth it? Um, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how generative ads, I was thinking about this the other day, where you may get to a point where your ads in Facebook are not just targeted to you, but what the ad says. And how it's built and the images and everything else are targeted to the person. So, you know, like, so 200 people see 200 slightly different ads based on the, the, which is kind of a crazy thing. And I'm not not sure if it's a good thing, but I think it's just a really interesting thing to think about. Go
3: ahead, John.
0: Alex said it well. No comment. It's
1: gonna be interesting. Next question.
3: Next question.
1: And it's from Tlalek Lopez Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico. Is there anyone that makes a way to combine power and Ethernet for an iPhone that has a long lighting coat, uh, uh, let's say, cable, so that it feels just like a charging cable to the user? This could be a game changer for some use cases.
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: Uh, yeah, so is not going make a way to
0: combine power and Ethernet on an iPhone that has a long um, lightning cable so that, it, yeah, um, it's not all in one piece. So you still have the issue with, lightning, you do a lightning to two lightnings and then one lightning goes to uh, USB or one goes lightning to USB and then to a ethernet uh, or, or, and there's also one that goes lightning to USB plus lightning. So then you take power into the lightning and the USB port goes out to an ethernet cable. Um, And so those, that combination is what you need to power it. Are they going to do a whole cable? Probably not because the last iPhones that have lightning cables were sold last year. Um, you know, so I think or be or selling right now. Most of us think that in a couple of weeks, we're going to see a, 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 an iPhone with a, a, US, a USB-C. So I think that it's going to be, uh, I don't think that there's enough market or even though there's hundreds of millions of them out there with lightning, I think that for manufacturers, they don't usually look at supporting, a, like building something aggressive for a edge case. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: I'm oh, sorry. Mitchell. Mitchell. I just wanted to uh, leave a message for Talalik. Um, the, the hat you left behind the other day when we had uh, dinner, I just mailed it to you. Thought I'd save some time. Okay.
3: Next, Next question. question. Oh, sorry.
1: Sorry. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. I was in a dive bar and her I'm sorry, Paul, stop that, and overheard some guy saying there, there are versions of every product coming out of China, one high and another one low quality. What was he talking about and what did I miss?
3: Go ahead,
0: Alex. I have no idea. I mean, China makes a lot of things. So <laughs> we don't have enough context
3: there. Yeah. Next question.
1: And Talalik Lopez Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico asks, will Wi-Fi be made more usable or stable for video and audio streaming ever? Go ahead, Alex. To be clear,
0: what, what Wi-Fi is really not good at is the live interaction of video specifically, and some and, and in some cases audio. And it's because we're pushing so much data and it's so sensitive to packet loss that the current Wi-Fi, now we think that Wi-Fi V6 may have may be able to correct a lot of these things, and so we don't know yet, but it's because of the nature of that you can definitely stream live video and live audio over Wi-Fi because you have buffer. But as soon as you take that buffer away because we're doing low latency, it's when it is what makes it unstable. And I'm not, I'm not 100% sure when that's going to get fixed. It does get fixed, by the way, if you're in an isolated area. So if you're in the middle of nowhere, and it, what, Wi-Fi is dropping packets when... Devices are moving in and out of the radius of the AP. So it doesn't have to do with the amount of bandwidth you have. It has to do with the movement of devices in your space because it's renegotiating with those devices. And when it renegotiates with those devices, it loses packets. So the issue is, is that if you, like when I'm at my parents' house in the middle of nowhere and everyone's gone and I'm jumping on a call or something like that, I will have no frame loss because nothing's changing in relationship to the APs. Um, And that's the the key to the operation.
1: Next question. And it's from Chris Widener at Lafayette, Indiana. Chris asks, any suggestions for a vehicle mount fiberglass dome for mounting either a PTZ camera or Mevo start? I found uh, references to some for marine use but unable to find them for purchase.
3: Go ahead,
1: Alex. Um, I think you can get half
0: domes. You know, you can get uh, not fiberglass. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming what you want is a clear uh, half dome there, and if you're not, so it wouldn't be fiberglass. Uh, go ahead.
3: Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: I was just going to agree with Alex. It would be plexiglass, not fiberglass, because there's going to be fibers and interfering with the view, etc. John? John, uh, Chris, stop buying stuff for yourself and buy stuff for your newborn
2: baby
3: next question
1: from talalik lopez waterman and galisteo new mexico are the unions on strike in hollywood international is the strike affecting movies made in other countries
3: go ahead alex
0: well many of the actors that are part of sag and 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 the writers guild are live all over the world, so they are affected. But in general, it's not an international strike in the sense that there's lots of actors and lots of writers that are not part of SAG or, or the Writers' Union around the world. So it's, it, it can affect those other movies if, if they included uh, union writers or SAG, and many of them do, for, especially for large releases, but for many of the, of the productions, it wouldn't affect them at all.
3: Next question.
1: Chris Widner, Lafayette, Indiana, speaks up with senators wanting YouTube investigated over showing targeted ads to kids again. Thoughts?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: I
0: sure. I mean, you know, like we've been advertising to kids for a long time. Uh, I guess the targeting is is something that I guess they're they're upset about. But I mean, uh, the best way to handle that as a parent is just to get premium and not have any ads for your kids. (laughs) You know, like, like I, I just don't, I I don't know how to, I mean, it is, it's a business and they're getting a free service. Um, you know, I think you don't want to target bad things towards their kids. I mean, I don't know, depending on how you define bad, but I mean like really, really bad things, but there's very few ads that are, I think, um, too far on the edge on on youtube but but i think that and so you definitely want it to be age appropriate as far as what you're putting there but i think that's kind of the cost of getting a free service um and so i think that uh i, I don't know I, I find that senators wanting to investigate something in, in hollywood or in, in dc is you know they're shaking the tree I, I have to admit that i have a very cynical view of that <laughs> like ahead, sh- they're shaking the money tree
1: Yeah, I agree with Alex. I mean, growing up as a kid, we had a thing called Saturday Morning Cartoons on one of the networks. And the cartoons were filled with uh, ads for cereal and toys and things that were obviously targeted at kids. And I think that the uh, government stepped in at one point and said there has to be a certain separation between that type of use. Because some of the cartoons actually were the products that they were trying to sell like Hasbro and uh, Transformers and GI Joe. I mean, there were actual cartoons about the product that they were selling. So that's hard on a kid trying to separate that choice that they have between enjoying the cartoon and wanting to buy that product.
3: Yeah. And just before I bring Alex back in um, two things from my own childhood would be the Sears and Robux Christmas catalog and um, a more regional of the um, Hills Jingle. Hills is where the toys are. So, yeah, um, we've been doing this for a long time to Alex's point. Go ahead, Alex.
0: One of the best things you can do for your kids is just eliminate ads. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it, it is it is there. Um, uh, I you know, My kids have grown up with very few advertisements because I cut the cord long before they were here. <laughs> so, I you know, I stopped watching, you know, I stopped being really a subscriber to cable. I mean, there was like a, a, a one or two year blip where my wife had it in the main house, but um, the, um, the, uh, I stopped really having cable as a, as a real thing in like 1997. By accident, I moved to a house that just couldn't get cable and then I just didn't do it. Um, and I will say that my kids are just not used to seeing ads. And I think that's a great thing. And I think that um, there's so much less things that they want because they just don't see something constantly flashing up and doing it. And they've kind of just grown up unconnected to that and un, and not really um, needing those things. And I think that it, you, you should definitely, if you're a parent, uh, you should consider the whatever it is, $8 a month or $10 a month of YouTube premium worth every penny uh, to just cut the, all the ads out of the system. It's, I, I don't even understand. Like I've had my my credit card changed and so my premium, premium turns off for a week. I don't know how people watch, just so you know, like if you're wondering what the difference is between having premium and, and regular YouTube, I don't even understand how someone would watch YouTube with those ads. Like it is the most painful thing in the world to sit there and open up YouTube and then see all these ads that are going to end in two seconds or 40 seconds or 30 seconds. I mean, all that goes away and it's a much more pleasurable experience. I promise you.
3: Yes. Next question. From
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, Paul asks, is there a quad monitor bigger than the LG 43-inch?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: There's lots of quad converters. So the, the best thing to do is, I mean, you can make any monitor. You can make a projection screen a quad monitor if you if you get a splitter. So there are quad um, converters that will have four inputs um, that are there. I, I used to have one on my desk. It's not on right now. But, but you can split any monitor. So I, I, that's why I, I never... And am excited about a monitor that does its own splitting. I'm like, I don't need to pay for that. I can just have a splitter and attach it to any monitor I want.
3: Next question.
1: Eric Herz from Hartford, Connecticut. What are the considerations of using forward error correction, FEC, to handle packet loss versus automatic repeat request, ARQ? does an ARQ add lots of latency? Yeah, my understanding is the ARQ is
0: going to add more latency than the FEC. Um, and, you know, it's probably, we'll, we'll, we'll probably work on a special where we try to bring some streaming folks in that I know to really answer these questions in detail. So stay tuned for that.
3: Next question. Paul Wallace,
1: Austin, Texas. Alex, we had a rapid fire Q&A on day two of SIGGRAPH, and you were dashing from booth to booth with Nick Justician. How did this go at your end?
3: Go ahead, Alex. It was
1: it was fun. We had a great time with it. Um, you know, I think that just
0: jumping from one place to the other, taking people's questions on my phone or through through Makana, all that was a really successful experience. And so, um, I think SeaGraph was my favorite one that I've worked on so far. Um, and so, I think that we'll we'll definitely try to recreate that. I'm really interested to see what happens with IBC, and I'm um, but I'm excited also about um, at, at NAB uh, at New York. And if you're interested in that, take a look at the emails. They we have a link to. You can sign up for that. It's also in Discord under the Alex announcements.
3: Yes. Next question.
1: From Talalik Lopez-Waterman and Galisteo, New Mexico, what do you do to mitigate eye fatigue on long days in front of screens?
3: Go ahead,
1: Alex. I stand up a lot. <laughs> I stand up a lot.
0: And so I, I get up and, and move around. After almost every meeting or anything else I can do, I'll, I'll walk away, stretch, uh, move around a little bit. Um, so it's, it's trying to get away from these monitors every once in a while and not feeling like you have to look down at your phone all the time. So, you know, for me, almost all of my tech, other than my phone, is in one room in my, in my house. When I, the rest of my house, I have a TV, but the rest of my house is extremely low tech. You know, like it's just there's not a lot to it, and that's so that when I can walk out and clear
3: my head. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, and for me, it's not so much the reading of the monitor as the light coming from the monitor, and like, for example, this two-hour show that we do is about a max that I can take for TV lights and stuff like that going on at the same time. You've got to stop once in a while and concentrate on something far away. Like, luckily, I have a window right in front of my studio set up here so I can look out the window and uh, let my eyes, uh, you know, relax a little bit. But then I'm 69 years old, so it's going to affect me different. Your mileage may vary. That's what I'm trying to say.
3: Yes. Um, For me, it's a matter of remember, like, turning on the screen reader when I absolutely have to. This week has been crazy busy with being back to school and getting things done for my students that need to be done and um, it's a matter of remembering to reach down and turn on turn on voiceover or jaws in, in addition to the magnification when that is needed, and the difference in the workflow that that because there's things that work differently when they're on versus off. Next question.:
1: Tommy Shans from St. Paul, Minnesota. Would you use a Roku for a solution for sending a PowerPoint?: Go ahead, Alex. Apple TVs
0: do this really well. <laughs> like I just, I have an Apple TV that I actually carry in my backpack, so I can just plug it into somebody's thing, and I can just immediately pair uh, my stuff to it, and um, and and do you know, I can take over any monitor that has an HDMI cable uh, with my Apple TV. I keep it loaded with all my apps and my movie apps, and so on and so forth. If I go to a hotel room, I just pull the HDMI out of the out of the TV and plug it into my Apple TV. And if I if I'm actually wanting to sit and watch watch something, but I you know that's. The Apple TV works really well. I would use it over a Roku every day.
3: Next question.
1: From Talalik Lopez-Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico. Do long-gop delivery methods become an issue for sports enthusiasts who want a very live, low-latency experience?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: Yeah, the. I mean, I think that... It, it, I I think in sports, the only time you really need that level of latency is if you're doing micro bets. So if you're doing betting on the play, you can't really do it inside of a streaming method. Um, But even that, you know, I think that that's a really crazy experience to to take on. Um, But I think that otherwise, um, you know, I think that plus or minus five seconds or 10 seconds should not be really affecting um, your experience. I'm often much further off because I usually start most football games about 15 minutes late so that I, don't, so I can skip through the ads.
3: <laughs> Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, I think the significance is live versus post-production. Um, you really don't want to be uh, editing long op files if you, can, if you can avoid it because they are a problem getting exactly the frame you want.
3: Go ahead,
0: Alex. And one of the things we've seen is, of course, the, the idea of syncing with your friends. So you see this when, when we do a coverage of a keynote, like Apple's keynote or something like that, you end up in this weird space where y- you are trying to, um, uh, the, the challenge you get in there is that we're, we're all trying to talk to each other over something. And that is hard because it doesn't really matter what the latency is, as long as we all have the same latency. And that's the hard part to get working.
3: Next
1: question. John Fisher from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The strength of magnetic mounts is often measured in vertical pull force before detachment. Is there a general rule for estimating the hold strength if the weight is hanging at an angle?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: My
0: experience is it's got to be a lot stronger because uh, magnets tend to not have as much strength at an angle. So they'll, they'll, they tend to slide off against that. I don't know what the, the general piece is to it, but um, we're often very careful about magnets because they will slide against each other much more effect, much quicker than they will pull away from each other.
3: Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, with a question. The city of Austin saved the the hole-in-the-wall music bar with a $1.6 million grant. Is this a thin ray of hope for Austin's weird past?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: You know, I think Austin is just wrestling with what
0: every city has when they start to gentrify, is that, that, you know, the weirdness starts to go away and people start putting in bigger things that make more money. Um, I think that the city will have to keep on doing that to probably keep it it weird um, because there's... uh, there's a lot of money flowing into Austin.
1: Mitchell? I, I'm really curious what the weird past is. I mean, maybe there is one. But it's I just, you know, Austin, no
0: Austin was much more, uh, you know, hippie, kind of edgy. Kinda, I don't know if it's hippie it was the right word, but but it was, it, it was definitely a lot more fluid tw- 20 or 30 years ago than it is now. So when South by Southwest started in the 80s, you know, I remember going to South by in like late 80s, early 90s, somewhere. And it was just an entirely different little cool little space that you'd go to and it had it's kind of cool whole foods and it had all these other things. And there was just, it was lots of nooks and crannies. And now when you go there, there's just a lot more big buildings and a lot more things that maybe not, may not be chains, but they feel like chains, you know, as far as restaurants go, they're just much more, you know, built up. So, um, so I think that that's, and that again, that's the, the, I think the only city that I've seen able to resist this, not a hundred percent, but Uh, more than most is Portland. (laughs) Portland seems to be impervious to uh, gentrification. (laughs) And some people in Portland will say, oh, it's been ruined. But the last time I was there, I was like, it's still pretty weird. I mean, I I got up at six o'clock in the morning and there was a a guy on a unicycle uh, playing the bagpipes with a Darth Vader uh, mask on. And uh, at 6 a.m., while I was walking to my to my venue, so it was. A, Sounds um,
1: like New York.
0: Just do a search for it. He he actually evidently, uh, you know, people have taken videos of him. He, he's got a Darth Vader Ma- mask. He's on a unicycle. He's playing the bagpipes, and the bagpipes blow out fire. It's quite a thing. Um, and and again, I saw him. I I, th- I didn't know if he was real until 6 a.m. in Portland while I'm walking. I just see him go by playing. I was like, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, Portland. I'm your father. I asked. I asked someone. By, by the way, and by the way, the first. If you haven't seen, uh, especially if you're, if you know, if you haven't seen the the open of Portlandia, the very first episode where he's like talking to this girl about you know, remember back in the eighties that well, it's you know, it still happens in Portland. And I asked a friend of mine that lives in Portland. I said, Is it really like that? Is Portland really like that? And he goes, He goes, Well, Portlandia is kind of. It's not quite as weird as Portland, but it's 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 on its way. <laughs> like, like he says, Portland can be a lot weirder. So anyway, I, and Bravo, you know, like I think it's it's fun um, that that Portland is able to maintain that. But I, we, my my wife and I looked at like different cities that were like that where we wanted to live before we ended up moving. we was just getting stuck in Petaluma because we were just happy with it. But we were looking at Portland and Boulder and Austin, and you know, those were like cities that we kind of went uh, Santa Fe, um, and uh, and then again we just. The 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 um, Leo having me at, on the shows all the time, and then us just really liking
1: Petaluma kept us there for a long time before we moved again.
3: Next question.
1: Eric hers from Hartford, Connecticut. ATSC 3.0 has rolled out IP multicast to several TV markets. Can I join an ATSC 3.0 multicast from my PC? And when will mobile phones have a TV tuner chip? Some had an FM tuner. Why is this not an FCC requirement?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: Yeah, I don't think that the yeah FCC is... Um, I don't think that... Uh, the FCC is trying to expand. There's a lot of a push to defend the, um, the you know, the, the airwaves, the, the FM tuners, the TV tuners. But I don't think there's a lot of push to expand what they're doing, uh, just because it takes it brings in a lot of uh, overhead in that area. So I, I wouldn't expect the FCC to push that too too far. But they just want to make sure that the newest technologies and the best technologies are available um, for those um, platforms. But they're not necessarily um, trying to add to them.
1: Next question. Talalik Lopez-Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico. I sometimes use my MixPre-6 with my iPad. Think we could use both an ATEM and a MixPre?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
0: Um, you, you you probably want to figure out how you're going to pr- provide power to everything, um, but you can definitely use the MixPre-6 with it. I don't know. I guess like my question would be, what would you be using the ATEM for? Are you feeding the graphics from the iPad into the ATEM? Is that the, the goal? And if so, you... You might be able to use a, um, you know, some kind of hub to make that actually happen. But I'd have to know a little bit more about what you're trying to actually get done there.
3: Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking an example that Adam slepsky a head of AWS, used to support RTO is an impromptu talk with an Israeli quantum computing professor sparking a serendipitous discussion. In the absence of hard employee performance data, is there a real advantage?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: Uh, We don't know. I mean, I think that I think people don't know about I mean, for all
0: the advantage of serendipitous conversations, there is all the distraction of having of an open office of having people, you know, chattering around you all the time. And so and there's, I mean, uh, you know, again, I have worked in many open offices. The primary problem with return to office is that open offices are less efficient than being at home. <laughs> like like I just you know like you can't think straight people are distracting you all the time people keep on coming over and inter- inter- interrupting you and asking you things while you're in the middle of something so I don't believe that I, I and I don't have a I don't have empirical data for you, but as someone who has spent a lot of time at home and a lot of time in an open office, I get far more done at home than I ever got done in an open office because everyone was interrupting me all the time. You know, and so and and so the um and so it's it I, I get that there is these moments of serendipitous discussion. And I think it makes sense to have those those conversations. But I get that the same way. I mean, I have meet I am in so many meetings over Zoom every day. You know, six to eight hours a day I'm in I'm in some kind of meeting. And, um, you know, talking about stuff and, and there's a lot of things we come up with and, and we're having these little one-on-ones, we're having groups. These people are spread out all over the world. And the problem is, is the people who work the least well are the people that are in the office. So the people who jump onto a Zoom to talk to people in other parts of the world are, you know, you've got chatter coming in from other places and they've got headsets and they've got all, the, all their, everything's kind of half working and you never know who's on the other screen. Like, like, I almost will not get into a meeting if I don't see someone wearing headphones. Like, I just was like, like, I will say almost nothing like to them, you know, I'm just like, I just try to shut the meeting down as fast as I can because I don't know who else is in the room. Like, I don't know who I'm talking to, you know? And so so it's, you know, I, I don't feel as a as a person on the other side, if you're not wearing headphones, I don't feel safe. Like, you know, like I don't feel, if I don't see that you're wearing headphones, I don't feel safe to talk. It's not, you know, I can't talk freely, you know, and I assume you're in a, I I assume there's like eight people sitting there listening to the conversation. And it's why like with speaker phones, I do the same thing. I'll shut you down pretty quickly. Like I just, I I, I don't say it out loud and I'm not, I don't talk to people. Oh, I'm not going to talk to you because you're on a speakerphone, but I will not, I will try to find the end of the, end of the conversation as fast as I can, <laughs> you know? And so, so, um, you know, so I think that that's the, you know, the, so anyway, the point is, is that, that the, um, you know, a lot of people are, have old thinking and they're, they have old processes and, you know, they're not going to, you know, I don't think that it necessarily is all returned to office, but I don't think it's all, some people need to go into the office or want to go into the office. They want to interact with other people. So we should let them do that and give them the proper environment to do it rather than open offices, which were, again, as we've said many times here, the worst idea ever. (laughs) you know like you know like just just you know like in architect in, in the the idea of office architecture that was just the dumbest idea and all of this return to office is related to it like do not think that these are unconnected in devices driving an hour and a half somewhere and then being stuck in with a you know like cattle into a into a big room with you know that's what people don't like if you gave them their own little cocoon that they get to work in and they got to interact with people and so on and so forth and they get to have lunch and so on and so forth, you'd have a lot of people back, Um, you know. And so I've seen companies that have old buildings that they all had, and then they open up a new building with open office and everyone, there's this giant, uh, like, Attack for how, who's going to get to stay in the old office? <laughs> you know, like that's the that's the big push. Is they don't want to go to the new office because they don't want to go into open offices. Open offices are a horrible idea, you know. And and the idiots who came up with it are now trying to figure out how to get people to come back to them when they were bad ideas in the first place.
3: Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Um, it never ceases to amaze me the deniers of the open office demise um, can be. Uh, Quantified because, I mean, here locally in a, in a corporate city like Wilmington, Delaware, our uh, retail rental space is down 30 percent since COVID yeah, and continuing. I mean, it's trending down.
0: Well, and there's a whole bunch of things about, you know, having business districts and and, and residential districts turned out to be a really bad idea. You know, because, you know, what happens is is now the now that the commercial stuff is dropping. And I think I look at that, I'm trying to figure out what to do with all that office space because I think there's an opportunity for us to build studios into them, for people to build virtual event systems, all kinds of stuff. There's a huge opportunity for taking up that office space. But so far, no one wants to, I've reached out to people, people still want 20 bucks a foot, you know, for their for their empty office space that's going to be empty forever. My argument is, hey, how about you just let me use it for a lot less, 12 bucks a foot or 10 bucks a foot per year. Let me use it for a lot less and you can go month to month with me. <laughs> like I, and, they, and they're like, why would you do month to month and put all this investment in? So I was like, and I flat—I made the mistake of saying, because you're not going to rent this for ever. Like I just, I just said, you're like, you're never going to fill the space up again. Like, so you might as well get some money out of me uh, because you're not going to get any money out of anybody else. Like this is an empty space for the rest of the building's experience. <laughs> so, so, um, so I'm happy to go month the month because I know I'll be here for a long time.
3: Next
1: question. Robin Ruskin from New York, New York. Can Alex plug his panel on building communities? South by Southwest asked that people upvote their faves using panel picker. Thanks much. Thanks Robin. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't raise
0: my hand there, but um, yeah, I'm, uh, we sent the, I tweeted out the link and we sent the link out in discord. So if you look at the Alex announcements from yesterday, I think, um, it is, uh, I think it will be a lot of fun and I'll come down and we'll probably, if I'm there to speak at this event, we'll probably cover South by Southwest in some way, shape or form. So, uh, anyway, so you can vote on it by looking in discord. Um, and, uh, uh, it's a chance for us to we'll probably talk about office hours. <laughs> so so it'll be a chance for us to talk about office hours there. So you can see it either in my Twitter feed or in Discord.
1: And uh, please check it out. And I guess
0: in the question here, you can also see the link to it.
3: Next question.
1: Talalik Lopez-Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico, has a question. As a theatrical designer, I chuckle every time I hear that ClearComs is the cream of the crop. How long ago did they actually become good? Many theater systems are 20 years old. Yeah. Go ahead, Sorry. Alex. Sorry, I forgot to
0: put my hand up again. Um yeah, the uh um, so what happened, my understanding of it, is that what happened was is that Clearcom, I mean Clearcom was the kind of the in-between. So um basically you had uh, um, you know, truck systems and then you had Riedel and Clearcom was this kind of in between. It was one of the first ones. Um, um to be out there. But RTS is kind of what we think of as truck systems. I mean, if you all when someone says I want to use RTS, you just assume they used to work in a truck. Like you don't see it anywhere else, but you you know, but they or it's just people who used to work in trucks. Um so that they have a and they like that one. Um theater and and event locations tend to be uh, mostly Clearcom. And then, uh, Riedel is kind of like, ooh, someone's got money. (laughs) Like, you know, but it's really hard to use. It's like a Ferrari. It's like, it's like you need to have somebody who knows how to use the Riedel system. It's much, much heavier lift, but it's a, you know, it's it's a really, really nice, nice system. Anyway, what happened with ClearCom, from my experience, is they were doing, they were doing okay. They're kind of plotting along. They were, they were OEMing a thing from HME. Now, HME makes, uh, they make all the headsets for McDonald's and Starbucks and, you know, those all those headsets are all HME. And so they're a massive company. And this much smaller company was just OEMing for their lower cost um, comms. And and I think HME, what I heard was HME kind of looked at them going, oh, look at that. And, you know, like their margins are much better than our margins. And, um, and bought, uh, bought ClearCom. And then ClearCom got technology, money, infrastructure, all these other things. And they have... Uh, you know they've really built up. The Freespeak systems are amazing. Um, the Freespeak and Freespeak Two systems are amazing. The um, you know IC is still one of my favorite online ones. It's like kind of a better version of of Unity, um, but it all ties back into the into this these frames and their Meridian frames and all the other frames are just um, amazing to work with, and they all integrate really well. So you can be have some people on your phone, some people on Freespeak, some people on panels. And um, we used, we've used them a lot. And uh, um, Cl- uh, ClearCom, and if I would always choose ClearCom even over Riedel, um, you know, just because it's easier to maintain. Um, and I think that the the mobile devices uh, for ClearCom are better than Readels, at least from the last time I used them. So um, they so when you ask when did they become really good, I would say about eight to ten years ago is when they just they kind of took a hard hockey stick up. Go ahead,
3: Mitchell.
1: And uh, let's add um, our folks at Telos Alliance to that list. They've sort of decided to get into the business. I think because they're experts in IP communications. Yeah, I, we haven't. Ha- I just haven't had any
0: experience. I've never seen it in the wild. So they they've done. Um, they, they they do. They're trying to get in that in between, which is a little less expensive than what Clearcom's doing, but a little bit more f- full featured than what Unity does. And. Uh, I think it looks good and we want to bring them on it you know, sometime in the near future just to talk about it. Um, I've had some demos of it. I've just never seen it in an actual project. Um, and the other ones that are that we use for small, uh, smaller events, so if we've got like eight headsets or less, we use the Studio Technologies Dante packs. And so we've got those little belt packs that are there, the four-channel, two-channel, um, so for smaller crews, um, they work nicely if they're not wireless because it's all Dante, it's all really clear and crystal clear and everything else. It's just managing all the mixed minuses are a little harder with, uh, with them than, than other
3: things. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asks, Canadian Heritage Minister demands that Meta lift its reckless news ban on Facebook and Instagram for the safety of people fleeing wildfires. Comment.
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: Uh, the Canadian, uh,
0: the the Canadian government did this, <laughs> like you know, like you know, like so. So I'm not. It's not Meta's problem. I mean, I I don't think Meta owes, owes them anything, you know, for this. I mean the, this crazy. It's just, uh, these laws that say you have to pay the 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 news organizations for the, promoting them. I mean, like they're you know they're getting promoted, and so what we're seeing here is a government trying to use any way it can to embarrass Meta so that it will, you know, give in on something that was a dumb idea in the first place.
3: Next question.
1: Eric Herz from Hartford, Connecticut. Amazon bought the SYE protocol and roll it out in their mobile app for their NFL live streams. What is SYE? Go
3: ahead, Alex.
0: We will need to bring somebody on to talk about SYE. <laughs> like, so I don't think we're, we're ready to talk about that. Um, but the, uh, but let's, um, uh, we'll do some research on that and we'll bring somebody on on a Friday. So um, someone put that into the second hour suggestions if someone can. And we'll, I think it's a really good, good one to cover. We have a lot of the folks from Thursday Night Football coming on throughout the fall to talk about how they're using a lot of different technologies. So we're really excited about that. Um, and the SYE isn't on the list yet. So we'll make sure it gets on the list.
3: Next question.
1: Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. Cruise complies California DMV request to cut its fleet by 50% as the regulator probes recent concerning incidents involving cruise robo-taxis. What is cruise? I'm in Texas.
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: I
0: don't know, man. I think we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how the robo-taxis work. You know, like it's, it's it's an interesting possibility. I... Uh, I'm not that interested in them. The idea of having a car that someone else was in that had nobody in it before that that had no uh, front there's a certain level of accountability that comes with a person in the front seat um, that has me not interested in Robo taxis
3: until I have the night industries two thousand um i'm a little I'm still a little bit sketchy on driverless cars. yep next question.
1: Talalik Lopez Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico. Do I need a carnet for my Black Magic Design camera, A Tem, and a laptop for a trip to Europe?
3: Go ahead, Alex. You you shouldn't.
0: And I think that you can say that this is just how I connect to stuff. I wouldn't put that on a carne. Like I don't think that I mean I I you technically you may be going over the import rules so I think it's two or three thousand dollars is the import uh, import rules especially if it looks like it's used you're not bringing it on a new box and you you have it I mean I brought a lot more into Europe than that I mean so uh, but I think that that total the mix pre if you have a mix pre six or ten plus the eight ten you're getting kind of close to that. But again, if they look like they're used and they look like they've been in there and and you're talking about the fact that this is how you get into virtual events, I think you'd be okay. Um, You might technically want to get a Carnet for it um, if you really want to be easy about it. But just remember that it's also going to add more time to your landing and leaving because you're going to have to go through the um, customs offices each time or it's not not worth having a Carnet. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas, a district court judge upheld a U.S. copyright office finding that artwork created by AI isn't eligible for copyright protection because it lacks human authorship. Agree?
3: Go ahead, John. I
1: agree. I, I have no articulation, but I agree.
0: Alex? I agree, too. <laughs> like I don't like so. I think that the argument that uh, I, I think it's a hard argument to say that you're violating copyright by using AI. So I think that you are, um, but I, I think that you could also say that you can't have copyright if if you're using one-to-one with the AI. Um, the, the issue really gets into what, you know, so when you're prompting, you're kind of playing with the machine and getting something out of it. This is, this is the, the gray area here. What's different from that of using a MIDI sequencer? Like, you know, so if you're using a a sequencer or a, you know, um, some of the, you know, a Moog or whatever, there's a lot of things, not necessarily a Moog, but, but there's a lot of these that you're turning and you're plugging things in and you're playing with the settings and you're coming up with the sound that you like. That is not very far from prompting (laughs) like that, you know, like is, you know, you're just using mechanical things to do it. So I think that there's a gray area there, but I think that if you're using it one-to-one, I I don't have a problem with that. I like the stuff I do in mid-journey. I don't have any expectation of creating a copyright. I just don't want to be sued to use it. So I think that there is a kind of a, if you're using it, you can't be protected, but you're also not under in trouble
1: either. I think that that's reasonable.
3: Next question.
1: From Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana, Chris asks, digital collections like Naropa are great for research. Are there other big audio collections you like to use for inspiration?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: Um, you know, I, I think that the thing that I, I
0: really enjoy, um, uh, I don't really use a lot of them where I'm listening to things just for inspiration as far as a catalog goes. I mean, I listen to music that way. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you yeah. I, I read books and li- or listen to books. Um, it's so an Europa university is, a, is a, it's taking the Naropa university archives. So it's just a lot of things from this more holistic, uh, um, university that I believe is in, if I remember correctly in Berkeley in Boulder, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, but I, I haven't really had a lot of other ones that I've, um, that I've, that I've looked at.
3: Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Amazon offers creators up to $12,500 for 500 videos or $25 per video for its TikTok-like shopping feed. Creators typically charge $200 plus per video. Thoughts? Go
3: ahead, Alex. Do
1: you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah. That,
0: I, I think that Amazon is having trouble figuring out some way to turn the pipe on. You know, like they're just, it's not... Um, uh I think they're having, they they tried to get Amazon Live to work. And uh, and I think that they just haven't quite figured out how to engage people to do those. I think if you did it right, you could probably make some money on it $25 a video. If, If you were in a place that you didn't even need to make a lot of money and you kind of built out a machine for it, but I think you'd have a hard time making more than about $50 an hour. Like if you really built this into a pipeline, you might be able to get to a point, but you'd be building lots of little videos to do this. And I think you're probably, you know, again, if you're a college student or something, uh, or if you're, you know, you want to make some extra money, I think that it, this is a good idea. Can you build a business around it? I don't know, no, at least not in the US. You know, so, so this could be something that you would have, a, you, you could do somewhere overseas.
3: Yeah, um, I imagine it, It sounds like almost an interesting thing to play with for some extra money, but I don't know that you could actually make a full-time career out of it like a lot of people have done with YouTube. And some, I was listening to a couple of creators the other day saying that it was kind of accidental that YouTube became their full-time job. Next question.
1: And it's the last question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. U.S. intelligence agencies warn that China and Russia are targeting private U.S. space companies and preparing cyber attacks that could disable satellites in a conflict. What? We worry?
3: Go ahead, Alex.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the space of
0: a week we could lose all of the internet to the outside world. Like, you know, like it would not, you know, that's all a very doable thing, cut the fiber lines, cut the, you know, the, you know, everything else. And so that's always, uh, you know, what we always hope, we don't end up in a full hot conflict because that's what is possible. But there, you know, that's what everyone always worries about with things like Ukraine is how bad can it get? Yeah, so we always have to know that we could get cut off um, and destabilized that way um,
1: relatively quickly, so. Go
3: ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, the irony is that the whole point of the Internet in the first place was to keep this all from happening. But because we depend on all that kind of infrastructure, uh, it's a problem. And also, uh, kudos to uh, uh, Paul for using a Mad Magazine reference, What Me Worry?
3: Yeah. Well, we've made it to the end of another Saturday. And I want to thank the panel for being here and our producers for all of the great questions, the show runs on your questions. And there was a point where I wasn't sure we were going to have enough questions. But they, you, the our audience always come through for us. I'd like to thank our crew. And there really is a small village every day. And as somebody who spends more time on the crew than I do on the panel, um, I know how special those people are back there and how much we could not do this without them. The Talaloc Traversal today, we covered 100 And 36,000 miles, 219,000 kilometers. That's more than 1,080 billion bananas. See all in after hours.